Hello and welcome to Willosophy with Will Anderson. My name's Podcast Mike and we're in the middle of our Willosophies compilation series of the podcast, which is a look into the back catalogue of Willosophy episodes, where we're putting together some themed curated episodes uh, and we'll be doing these for the rest of the year, pretty much. Uh, there was also an episode that went out the other day with Peter Hellier, so go and check that one out as well. Today's theme is education. It's a topic that comes up a lot on this podcast, so you're going to hear from Charlie Pickering, Myth Warhurst, Todd Sampson, and Jane Caro. Enjoy. know all those parameters you set in the fucking 1700s? Recalibrate that shit. It's not working anymore. I'm not... Capitalism's fucking great. Yeah. But you have a look at CEO to worker ratios are so out of whack. And what blows my mind... Fuck, this I is mean, turning into a no, diatribe, but I'm getting, I'm getting pretty... No, like, it's, it's totally fine because like, I think you're absolutely right. I think you can make the argument and you should make the argument and be able to make it in a way that you don't have to use all the words that Russell Brand seems to be using <laughs> and explain to people yeah. that... There's nothing wrong with capitalism. Like my shows are on sale right now. Please come and yeah. see me. Like you I've know, I've done great off capitalism. Yeah, you know, but, I like it. It's but good. you can't convince me that the disparity between the CEO salaries and the workers who are actually doing the work yeah. is at a healthy level for our society. No. You cannot convince me that is true. And and you know what I find very interesting and highly contradictory about the conservative side of politics, which in a lot of ways, but almost exclusively in social ways, yearn for the 1950s, Mm -hmm. right? If you look to how things were in the 1950s, in America and in Australia, taxes were much higher, equality was much better. You know that idea of the Australian dream or the American dream? It comes from a time where people felt invested in the companies they were working right. for. Right, they loved the company. You'd and work for that company all your life, and you knew your boss. Yeah, and like you know, he invited around the barbecue, and his house was slightly better than your house. Yeah, his car was nicer, <laughs> and his wife was shinier. Right. You- <laughs> But that was pretty much it. Yeah, and do you know what you had? You had a happier, more cohesive society. Right. And, and so many studies have been done that show that the happiest societies have nothing to do with how rich the wealthy are. The happiest societies are about the short economic distance yep. between rich and poor. That's And there's been a myriad of studies that have proved that. But like even, if you go to Samoa, even, like I went to Samoa mm. and, and there were like I was going through small towns in Samoa and actually like stopped once and hung out with some locals and had a meal with them, right? And it was basic, right? And where they lived, it was basic. I'll just say basic. Was it basic? It was basic, okay. right? And there was some How would kids, you describe it? I'd say basic. Okay. Um, but oh, there were some kids swimming in, in like a drainage canal. Uh-huh. And like in the back of my mind, I was going, this looks at this like, I'm a white kid from Australia. This looks a tiny bit like poverty to me, uh-huh. right? Yep. And as I talked with them and laughed with them and noticed just how happy they were, I was like, no. It's simplicity. It's not poverty, right? And the difference between them and the Prime Minister of Samoa isn't that great. Right. And they all seem really fucking happy. Whereas in Australia, shit we complain. Like, you know, we find so many things to be angry about and hate all the fucking time. Right. Well, the problem is, uh, well, I mean, there's a a myriad of issues. uh, But one of the major problems is that we, the inequality issue, if we want to linger on that and what effects it has on the conversation you're having, is that the, the, the top end 
it's in their best interest to protect what they have, right? And, and why wouldn't you? And why wouldn't you, right? But things are going crazy now. You know, the statistics that 85 people control the same amount of wealth as almost half of the world now. Yeah. It's crazy, the inequality. So we as a society... We, the majority, as a society, who aren't those people, the most obvious thing to do when we go, why don't I have what I think I should have, is look at the people who have everything and go, it's probably because they have everything. Yeah. But the people who have everything have done this really clever thing of going, hey, do you reckon at some stage how we've got everything and keep taking more of everything, that they'll realise that the reason they don't have something is we keep taking more of everything that we don't need and putting it in those rooms of our houses that we have never visited? Yeah. And they go, oh, you know what we should do? Why don't we like get a like a newspaper or a TV station or something and we'll tell them the reason that they don't have everything is because there's people coming here on a boat from yeah, another country. Exactly. And we'll get them to concentrate on that. And while they're doing that, let's take more of their stuff yeah. and put it in that house. I don't even know where it is. Yeah. Here's the thing. I genuinely believe you can only do it for so long. It's like, did you... Did you read the Chris Rock interview recently in New York Magazine with Frank Rich? I did read that. Yes, it's one of it's it's one of the great interviews, and it's another reminder that Chris Rock's one of just the smartest cats going on. Again, we're doing unattributed tweets today, but I need to point out you can look up the tweet and find the person who came up with it. But somebody tweeted at the time after all those great interviews came out, and he talked about race in Hollywood and a whole bunch of yeah. great issues in in really. Yeah. Great detail. And uh, somebody just tweeted, and I thought it summed it up so well. They said, Chris Rock is the new Chris Rock. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true, though. Like it. Um, we, we, hey, later in this chat, yes. let's come back to Chris Rock about something. Okay, all right? cool. Um, but the thing that he said was if poor people knew how rich the rich were, yep. they would fucking riot. Right. There would be revolution. And I personally. I think a lot of the fundamentals of what Russell Brand kind of seems to believe, I don't have that much of a problem with. No, I agree. I think the packaging is ludicrous. Mm. And and I think calling for revolution and telling people not to participate in democracy are like the wrong approach. Right. But we're hearing nonsense opinions from the other side as well. I'm 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 very like <laughs> but the other side is winning. I'm yeah, but I'm <laughs> like, I'm very defensive of Russell. Like not because I I just wish that he would not have to use every single word every single time. And but I, you know what? The things he's talking about are important. And yeah. he could be a rich celebrity in Hollywood talking about having had sex with Katy Perry and like you yeah. know ladies and whatever. And he's decided instead that he wants to talk about something that he. F- feels is important now he has that air of someone who just discovered that god wasn't real in his mid-30s even though he thinks god is real but but you know what i mean like yeah. sometimes when somebody becomes an atheist yeah, late yeah, in yeah. life they're way too into being an they atheist want to te- yeah they want to tell everyone and everything like, that richard hey, guys, dawkins has said all at once guys god doesn't exist and you're like yeah, yeah no i worked that out when i was about eight yeah like yeah, my mum got cancer when I was at high school. Yeah, yeah. The, the other shoe dropped. Yeah, um, and then somebody <laughs> at the Grammys was saying they thank God, and I thought, you know what? Yeah. Even if there is a God, I don't like this God. Yeah. Don't let my mum die of cancer, but let Beyonce win a Grammy. Yeah, it's like, are, are there different gods? Like yeah. there are different A&R guys at different labels? Right. You know, I like the God that signed the Wu-Tang Clan. <laughs> <laughs> Or as uh, the very funny Melbourne comedian uh, Dave O'Neill said in his set the other night, he was trying to drop the Wu-Tang Clan, uh, Wu-Tang Clan as a reference and instead said Wu-Tang Clang. 
Perfect. Yeah, which is um, yeah, th- that's which a hip hop. Is... That's a hip hop crew that just really n- name checks people they know all the time. <laughs> <laughs> really big names. Ah, it's the Wu Tang Clang. It's actually three English comedians doing hip hop. Right. <laughs> Uh, okay, uh, so um, let's uh, let's move let's, on. We're let's just... get to your philosophy, and then we can start talking about everything again. Because like we managed to, you know, go twenty three minutes into yeah. the podcast where I meant to ask you about your. This philosophy. is a bit because so, you and I actually know each other very well and have for years, and true. we haven't seen each other. For we haven't quite seen each other for a while. We did we did about forty five minutes off air, and then <laughs> we thought we better, the things that we can't quite talk about. On the I'm glad we ended the Russell Brand yeah. check because I reckon I probably would have said something I'd, I'd call you to cut out later. But I don't like um, to cut things out of the podcast. <laughs> it doesn't work like that. Um, so my philosophy. Yeah. Um, Do you have one? What is it? When did you get it? What's it about? These the, are the things I'd like to know. Okay. My, if I have a philosophy, and, and here's the thing. You don't have to, by the way. No, no, no. I have a philosophy um, and I've had it for a very long time. And it's a it's a it's a blessing and a curse. Okay, nice. And and I think you'll recognise that. You know me yep. very well. And when I tell you what it is, is it think... may, may you live in interesting times? <laughs> no, nothing, nothing no. quite as mystic as that. Okay, that's a Chinese, uh, yeah. a Chinese blessing that no, it's a Chinese curse that people misinterpret as a blessing. Yeah, that's I ex- yeah. Yes, may um, you live in interesting times. And just on the topic of cultural curses and blessings, my favourite Yiddish curse is "May your washing never dry." Which is like it's that's tiny, actually, but like, that would drive you mad. Yeah, that would. It'd just be constantly damp. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, mad. Think about it. What oh, no, a great curse. Yeah. That was obviously. Yeah. Anyway, um, so my my philosophy is um, never be intimidated by anyone. Oh, okay. Uh, so, how do you? When did you first start thinking this? Like, did you? Were you intimidated by people and then you kind of had to make that switch in your head or do you think that it's something you've always had? Where did that come from? That's an interesting thing to say, never be intimidated by I, by anyone. I think I almost – I settled I, – I articulated it to myself sometime at high school. Okay. Uh, was there and, a moment? Do you think – can you remember like where that comes from? I mean, you know, is there a moment no, I, where like was, uh, you're to, in a cave full of bats? <laughs> <laughs> Because it does feel a little like yeah. that. Uh, Never be intimidated. I was at a. I, I initially went to a school that w- wasn't very strict, and I got into trouble a lot. Okay, all right. Why? So, why did you get into trouble? What was I was bored. Because yeah. I would finish my work quickly. I and that, and and initially, this is this is going anyway. Well, this can go no, everywhere. But, but, no, no, but just, no, but this is like like it, it's a it got to the point in grade four where it was unworkable. Okay, that I was. So bored, yep. and found everything so easy. Yep. I got a detention in grade four, like, it, and and at this school that had never happened before, right? right. So I did a bunch of tests, mm-hmm. and they figured out I was just ahead of right. where we were, and so they, I think that that happens more often than yeah. not. Like, I mean, I know that a lot of the time when I was misbehaved, not necessarily at primary school, but like at high school, like it was, it just got to that point where you're like, yeah, I get this. Yeah. Why are you still telling me this? Why am I sitting here waiting for you to explain to everyone else? Um, so... <laughs> As it, turns, also, as it turns out, I didn't quite get as much as I thought I was right. getting at My the marks time. marks did not reflect it. I wish, uh, I wish, I wish <laughs> in retrospect, I looked back and was like, when will I ever need French? Oh, well, maybe when you went to France for that really nice holiday and it yeah. would have been great to speak fluent French. <laughs> <laughs> Dig it. Um, 
<laughs> if but we I, ever invent time travel, I'm going back and, and I'm going to tell French. myself to fucking concentrate I want to learn. French. I want to learn French. Actually, I, I do actually... That's the weird thing. I got to the point of speaking French by the end of high school and then didn't speak it for about 10 years and went to France and landed and was like, bonjour, and it all came back. It was really qu- pretty freaky. I, but, I would like to say to kids, and we, we'll, we'll stop down and we'll get right through this, but yeah. I would like to say if there's any young people who are listening to this, like, and you are still at school and you are bored by things, here's the thing that I would say is find a way to be interested because you will never regret in the rest of your life. The only regrets I have from school is I had the opportunity to learn about some things I'd really like to know about now. Absolutely. Like I would, I would love to know more how chemistry works now or, you know, things that I kind of just skied through and just in, didn't really pay that much attention. I paid enough attention to, to get through. Entirely true. I, I grew to hate maths, to loathe right. maths, maths. Although I cheated on my year 11 maths exam and did well enough that the school made me do it in year 12. So that was a punishment. Okay. So anyway. There you um, go. <laughs> but, There's um, a lesson. Yeah. Um, but I hated maths. I cannot say the same about me at the end of year 10 maths. <laughs> <laughs> to either of those things. Um, but now, one of my favourite things is astrophysics and planets and Carl Sagan right. and Neil deGrasse Tyson and, and you know, like Cosmos and learning about the universe to me is... So fascinating. infinitely fascinating yep. and instructive. And you wish... You and I wish more, I had... Well, you wish you had the grounding that would have meant that you could have immediately... I mean, yeah. I went to see uh, Professor Brian Cox yeah. uh, talk. Adam Spencer, my good friend Adam Spencer, yeah. who's done this podcast. Um, uh, he it was uh, doing a part of the show with him, interviewing him and stuff. And so he invited me along. And the first... I mean, half of the first half of it, I thought was some of the most fascinating things I've ever seen in my life. And then in like that second half of the first half, he started doing some physics live on stage and people were loving it. And then he said, look, that's the easy bit. Now, after the break, I'll come back and I'll do some really complicated stuff. And I said, well, after the break, you'll be coming back. (laughs) (laughs) I'll be on my way home because you lost me. But I would have loved to stay. And that's the thing. Like there's now, there's a ceiling on my reading. Right. Like there's the like there's a point I can't quite go beyond. Yeah. As much as I'd like to see myself as some kind of goodwill hunting figure that could right. fucking learn anything out of any book I pick up, with that I just don't have the fundamentals. And I'm probably at I'm I'm at an age where learning those fundamentals is possibly a touch too hard. In the same well, way that I if mean, you it, learn a language when you're young, right. it's fucking easy. Yeah. It, uh, but now, like. I've tried you to get learn the harder Italian it recently is. and it's, geez, it's hard. Like, yeah. it's really tough. Well, I mean, that, but also, you don't have the time that you once had. Like, I mean, you could be. Oh, you, fucking you time. Prob- you probably, oh, time. You, you probably could get across these things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. you'd just be like, hey, uh, hey, you know, wife and baby in Korea. Um, <laughs> I'm going to learn Italian. If you guys could all hang out together, I'd get a buongiorno. <laughs> um, so. All right, so education was where we were. We were talking about you being bored at oh, yeah, school. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, but I'm still I, – uh, before we move on with this, sorry, but people will – there are some people, Charlie, already yeah, uh, who say you interrupt too much, um, that, that uh, you know, it, you don't let pe- – it's a conversation. Yeah, it is a conversation. And I'm going to let people get to whatever they want to get to. Just sometimes it reminds me of other things. Yeah, yeah. If you just want an interview that is shit that you can look up on Wikipedia, just fucking look up Wikipedia. Yeah. Or go to a proper interview podcast. Uh, Richard Feidler's podcast that he does conversations on the ABC is excellent. Yeah, we have wonderful. But it's a standard interview. Yeah, it's more anyway, of, it's I, more I'd of like to know your after. opinions on things. Yeah. So the education system right now, because you have a child 
And yeah. at some stage, that child is going to have to be educated. Yeah. Do you have opinions on education at the moment, what we're doing right, what we're doing wrong? Because I think it's a really kind of big issue in our society, how we educate our future generations. One of the statistics that I read recently, and I, I haven't got this exactly, but I'm going to just give you the gist of what it said, was about about half of the jobs, I think was the statistic, about half of the jobs that the kids who graduate uh, high school who are kids now do uh, have not even been thought of yet, like yeah. 50% of them. Yeah. So how do we educate children in a way that like, you know, because when we kind of went to school even, there was still that kind of element of, we were the last of probably of those generations where there was still kind of, you know, you went to school and you go, study being a lawyer and I'll be a lawyer or, yeah, yeah, or whatever. Yeah. What, what, I, and I think it's very different now that you, you, well, I think you should study to have skills that can be applied as broadly as possible. Yeah. Um, but you've got to fucking hone those skills. Like they, they have to be properly, it can't just be, I learned how to speak English, I'm ready, you know. I think we think about education all wrong. I think we approach it. We approach that. it all wrong. There's there's a whole bunch of things going on. Yeah. Um, number one, we reduce funding for education consistently. Sure. The one thing one thing as a society that we need is to fund. It's never bad for a society that people are smarter. No. It's never bad for a society. It just means that at least people won't be dickheads and walk on the wrong side of the footpath when you're going down the street, at the very least. Yeah. That they'll be able to count up their change in your shop. That yeah. the more educated your population is. But the problem is, and again, it goes back to this equality, inequality argument, Charlie, is that the, the, the rich, the protected, the elite have no interest in... The best way for a young person, from a person to move from a state of poverty to a state of having money is through education. Yeah. It is still to this day the best thing. Oh, Professional also- sports, you know, arts and entertainment are other ways that you can shortcut into those worlds. Yeah. But education across the board is the one that... and. But what happens is you find that these people, the rich, you know, the private school system gets more and more exclusive and you can only get access to it if you have a certain amount of money and it's the same people and the same families yeah. and it gets locked into this cycle. And I've, I'm particularly lucky that my father didn't have that opportunity. Right. He worked super hard. He, he, got, a place at, he got a place at Melbourne High, mm-hmm. which is a selective state school so it's like you have to reach a certain academic level to get into the school and he'd been in like catholic christian brother school like in western suburbs like you know uh and he finished year 12 but it was a terrible school and standards were really bad and he couldn't do what he wanted to do which was be a pharmacist so he went back and did year 12 again but he sat an exam to get into melbourne high to do year 12 again and that was a proper school that championed education and he was able to move from there and be successful. And then I've had every educational opportunity that I could possibly ask for. And I like to think I'm a good advertisement for what a, what an investment in education can achieve. I think every child should have the quality of education I had. I actually don't think it should be that expensive to do. Right. I, um, so num- number one, we have to change the way we talk about it. Governments shouldn't talk about oh this is we we've we've the costs of education, the cost of the cost of not educating educating is far greater than the cost of not educating. Charlie Pickering there from two thousand and fifteen on philosophy. 
My name is Podcast Mike. We're in the middle of our compilation series. This one is themed to education. And up next, we'll be hearing from Miff Warhurst. Miff is another radio and television presenter from Australia. She's been on Spicks and Specs, Triple J, Double J. She also currently does a podcast with Zan Rowe called Bang On. She talks about her thoughts on the education system here. Enjoy. Uh, when you were a kid, uh, you're a teenager, you know, you're mm-hmm. at school now, you're studying, you're kind of making friends, you know, you're getting interested in music and stuff. Did you have any sense of like uh, what it is that you might like to do as a job or did you have a thing then at the time you thought you were going to do as a job? I don't think I've ever really known what it is I want to do. I still don't. Interesting. Yeah. So you don't have like a, a plan or anything? No, plans are, plans are dangerous. Okay, explain to me what you mean by that. I like it because I don't have a plan either. And when people ask me for advice, like I always am like, I don't know. I've been making up every fucking single day I've been doing this. I've got no idea what I'm doing. No, no. And I think things come to you and you think that whether you you decide whether or not you're able to do them. But I I don't know. I'm not sure about that whole kind of philosophy of the secret where you envisage something and it will happen. And I I think that's just a – it's kind of – it will – could only possibly lead to disappointment if you're one of the many who that sort of luck doesn't happen to. I'm not sure if it's a disappointment thing, but I think it's also dangerous to say that's what I want to do and that's what I only ever want to do because you um, pigeonhole yourself into only doing a certain type of thing. And I, and I, I feel like I'm a completely different person to when I was 20 years ago or even two years ago. I feel like I've, I'm such a different person each step of the way that – it's, it'd be impossible to work it out. Mate, I would not have trusted 17-year-old me to make me a fucking boost juice. <laughs> and yet I'm meant to have trusted 17-year-old me to choose what I'm going to do for the rest of my life. It's a fucking stupid idea. It's horrible. and I think 17-year-old it's... me. I'll show you some haircuts I had when I was that fucking age. He was not trusted at a fucking barber shop, let alone planning the rest of my fucking oh, life. It's awful. And I hate to see that pressure put on kids to have to know what they want to do and you can see them being, you know, little little young adults and worried about their exam results and all of that sort of stuff. It- well, that's the thing I don't think we explain to kids a lot. We end up talking about education a lot on this mm. podcast, but it's a, something that I'm fascinated with and how we can do it better. And I do believe that education is the greatest tool for social yeah. mobility that is available to most people. But I, but I don't think education for an end... I think education for a bigger, right. a bigger understanding, so, a greater understanding of the world, and, and less rather than just siphoning people down a particular track. I know that sounds a bit light and airy fairy, but I, no, I, I, but I agree with you, and that's what this is about. Mm. And so, I have kind of two things to say about that, or to add to that, which is this: I think that firstly. We we make a mistake in the way that we explain education to people, which is we make it as if you have to know these things to like you do this job or whatever. Mm. So that's when kids switch off. They go in class, they go, well, I don't want to be a chemist. So why the fuck would I care about chemistry? Yeah. Whereas what we should explain to people is two things. Firstly, it, we want everyone to be educa- better educated because the more better educated we all are, the better chance as a human race we all have for survival. Firstly, yes. other people being ed- better educated means at least the person at the shops can add up your change when they hand it to you or at least, you know, the people who are walking on the right side of the footpath are very minimum, you know what I mean? Like smarter people is better for us all. But secondly, we need to explain kids the way of going, all we're teaching is all this stuff. The better you do, the less options you eliminate. 
right? The yes. more choices you have. We're not saying you have to do this thing forever, but if you know about all these things, you might change your a lot in your life and we're just going to give you as much. That, it's like exams. Yeah. You can If you really want to do something and you don't get the marks in year 12, there are other yeah, ways otherwise. to do it. There always is another way to do it. But secondly, you should explain to kids going, hey, you might not know what you want to do now, so get as high a mark as you possibly can because then you'll just have more choices yeah. of things that you can do when you decide that you yeah. do it rather than... Yeah, putting it as this be-all or end-all. And I think as an adult, you realise, the older I get, that you know, I realise life throws so many things at you that you kind of need to be prepared for more more than less, like, as, as you get older rather than, you know, and so a broader education will help you with that. Right. You know, and or, also this idea that, I mean, like, the, the, some of these things are things that we can't measure very well, which is like, you know, how important your emotional intelligence will be in how you know much you prosper, mm. you know, in life. Like, you know, your marks are just one small part of it. Yeah. You can be a brilliant genius who can't communicate with people and you, you might not be able to facilitate what it is that you want to do. I mean, there are so many things that are immeasurable that will, you know, determine how your life goes. So tell me about your education. Did you think it was a good education? Did you feel engaged in it? I did because I like learning, I think. Um uh, look, it was probably limited compared to kids that grew up in a bigger community because uh-huh. it was it was just a you know public high school and we how, didn't, how we many didn't, people were at the high school? I think three hundred students. Okay, when so we were that's there. not so too it wasn't, bad. It wasn't too bad, but um, like I was the only student. I got out of doing maths in year eleven uh-huh. because I did. No, I might have even no. I was doing basic maths in year ten, and I wasn't very good at that. Um, I, I think you had to do in, maths until year 10. Yeah. Because I, I, I think I quit maths after year 10, yeah. which I regret now. But I at the time, too. I was I like, well, when am I ever going to do maths? But I got out of it because I got to do music. And I was the only student that did music at that oh. level. So, you know, it's not like you were surrounded by people who were kind of thinking the same way as you or doing the same things as you were doing. If you liked something, you kind of, it was solo time. I'm just, that, that whole, you're lucky you have that, that whole ability to be able to work out an right. argument and come what, out with yeah. a, with another viewpoint. Sorry, what I was trying to say was that that's, that help, is helpful at school. Yes. Because at school, a lot of school is, you know, you have to read a book and then you have to construct an essay yes, yes. about it. that stuff that I found really easy. Yeah. And so I didn't try hard enough because yeah. I was just, but I still got really Sorry. good marks. And doesn't matter in the end. No, well, it, it doesn't matter. Yeah. But but I kind of do wish in retrospect there was like, you know, I studied French at school and today I can't speak a word of French and Same. I would love to be able to speak French. Same. Like it's like one of those things that I would probably take three months off what I do now to go and learn to speak French properly. Yet for years they would make, like I was able to do it for free. Yeah. Like I had classes and I was like, <laughs> la, 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 you know. I know, I know. <laughs> We see all these things in hindsight and there are people in power now who see these things and know these things right. and yet they're quite happy to leave the education system as it is and and sort of siphon and funnel kids down one track and not encourage them to to learn more and, you know, make it hard to access university education. So why aren't we doing something about this? This is what, when I often think about this, I think, what am I doing? I mean, okay, well, that's an interesting question. So, Because to me, education is probably the, one of the most important things, isn't it? Of all the topics that we've talked about on this podcast, it's the one that comes up every episode. Mm. 
everybody's story has something to do with education. And well, it, that's, it seems that's how we're formed. It should be the starting point of every bit of our discussion, but also for the evolution of our humanity. Mm. You know, the more smart people we have, the more that, you know, say the planet is warming and we're going towards disastrous things, the more smart people we have, the more chance that somebody's going to work out a way for us to deal with the you know problems and issues that are going to arise. The more that people are killing each other and fighting each other, the more smart people are, the more educated people are, the more understanding and tolerant and empathetic people will be. It's The problem is that it's, privilege likes to protect privilege. The yes. very nature of the system of privilege yes. is like we want to keep what we have. And so what happens is in the education system in particular that the best education is funneled into this very expensive private education mm-hmm. that only people who are already in that demographic can afford and then the public system gets run down. Mm-hmm. And so people at the very starting point of life where we should all be equal, we should all have access to equal high quality education. Absolutely. It gets divided into haves and haves nots, you know. So even with the new university changes that they're trying to do, you know, they're going to lump these people with these, you know, lifelong debts. Yeah. It's in the best interest of us all for people to be better educated. I'm not saying people shouldn't have to pay it back. I paid mine back and I'm very happy for people to pay them back. It took me forever to pay mine back. (laughs) Right. But that that, that shouldn't matter. Like, put it at a level where people can pay it back at a reasonable level and people will pay it back. Yeah. But, look, I'm still of the school that education should be free. Well, yeah, even I mean, that would tertiary, be brilliant. Yeah. Even at a tertiary level. It'd be good if we could come up with a way to pay for it. That yeah. would be. But yeah. I guess we could also argue that it, that it pays for itself in, you know. Absolutely. And I think. If we really genuinely made ourselves the clever country, like if we were genuine about that, if we paid teachers and uh, it, 10 times what we pay them now, we made it the most glamorous you know, thing like to be a teacher. We decided as a society we are going to honour the teacher as Mm. the most respected. We'll make a teacher Australian of the year. We'll like, you know, set an example. It'll be the year of the teacher. But also at university what we're going to do is like we're going to have this year where we're going to raise all the salaries but we're also going to encourage like the best of the people to come go into teaching, to revolutionise. I bet that down the track that would pay itself off Absolutely, a, th- a hundred, a thousand, a million fold. You so, know. So what? Why? Why is their vested interest to keep people dumb? Well, because the people who are in charge aren't that fucking smart. Yeah. So that therefore they can kind of more easily control the masses, right? As, as church once did. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. The less we know, well, the problem is if we're not like smart, us. we believe them when they say things like the reason you don't have what you should have is your fair share of society is because this person's coming on a boat to take it or that homeless person over there is or that kid who can't get a job. That's mm. the reason. Mm. And so you don't look at their, you know, you know, bosses and, you know, corporate influences and the donors to their political parties and the people yeah. who are running the media and going, hang on, but what about maybe if Rupert Murdoch paid his taxes? Or what if like, what if our government got Google, this thing that we all use all the time to pay the right share of their taxes? Or Apple, that we all, unlike, I mean, most people are probably listening to this on an Apple product. I buy Apple stuff all the time in this country. Like, things on iTunes cost more in Australia than they cost overseas. Yes. And they don't pay enough of their fucking tax here. Well, they don't pay any tax here do they They have their head office in Ireland where they pay a minimal amount but not what they should be paying in this country and if we just got them to pay their tax and stop pointing at people who are even less fortunate yeah but the smarter we are the more we understand that so people don't want the masses Mm. to be smart Mm. well what are we doing about it will that's where that's where i'm that's where i'm at right now i started this podcast (laughs) (laughs) that's what i'm doing about it (laughs) 
Going back to February 2015 there with Miff, Warhurst and Will Anderson. Hey, it's Podcast Mike. This is our compilation series, Philosophies. Today we're looking at education. And also, if you like any of the chats you're hearing today, be sure to go to tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P dot com, to check out any of the full chats. That's kind of the point of these compilations, to highlight some of the massive back catalogue of this podcast. Up next, it's Jane Caro, Jane's second appearance in this series, and Jane talks about the differences between the private and public sector of education in this country. It's a really, really interesting chat here. Enjoy it. Hang on, hang on a second, that's not going to work for us. Superannuation doesn't work for women. Why? Because there weren't any women there to say our right. lives are different from yours. Yeah. So it isn't just about <laughs> You know when you were merit. getting all that money put in your super and I was at home looking <laughs> yeah, after yeah. everything? Yeah. That and hasn't benefited me now yeah. that we broke up. So. Yeah. And now I'm sleeping out of my car. Right. So, I mean, that's why you also need women at the table because they bring a different perspective and that perspective needs to be paid attention to. Nah, you're all going to bloody ruin the economy. You want your tampons paid for and stuff. That's right. No luxury tax on tampons. <laughs> it is, it, you talk about education and this yeah. is an area that you are very passionate about and one that I uh, would love to talk to you about because mm. I think it's, um, it's nice to have someone on who has like, you know, such considered and passionate thoughts about it because the thing that constantly comes up on this podcast is education and Mm. the idea of education. A lot of the people who um, uh, have been on this podcast, you know, were were scholarship winners and that gave them an opportunity to get a good, you know, Mm. education. You're very passionate about public education, yes. So talk to me about how you think our what, what what's good and bad about our education system and where what what could be better about it well one of the major problems with our education system is that it is one of the so, most socially stratified in the western world so basically what we do is we privilege the already privileged and we further disadvantage the already disadvantaged and i'm talking about children are through our education system because we have a publicly subsidised private school system which has all the rights. So it can decide to accept a child or not. I mean, we talk about parental choice. Actually, no parents have any choice. Some schools have choice over which kids they will or won't educate. Some schools have no choice at all. And the public system, by and large, has all the responsibilities. It has to shoulder the responsibility for the education of all children. Education is compulsory in Australia. Right. Private schools don't have to shoulder any of that responsibility. We do not say that in return... So, hang on. They, they get government money, but they don't have to take... They can pick and choose who they want. I did not know that. Yeah, they can pick and choose who they want. They can decide they won't have that child. People talk about private schools better because they have discipline. What they mean is they can get rid yeah. of the troublemakers and guess what? Dump them yeah. on the public system. Yeah, average goes up if you just get rid of the duds. <laughs> exactly. It's very easy to it's do. Easy to do. Yeah. It's easy to be excellent right. when you don't have to <laughs> deal with any difficulty. Right, yeah. So that infuriates me. Quite apart from anything else. Also seems to be kind of counter to the idea of education, doesn't it? It so totally <laughs> is the opposite of what you should be doing. You don't build a class system via education. You do the opposite. It's meant to actually break down class systems. Right. Oh, no, not in egalitarian Australia. And then we sneer at the public system. Mm-hmm. We're so You know, people will say, oh, yeah, the public schools are terrible. Can't send you. Well, I send my kids to bloody co-ed comprehensive public schools saved a fortune thank you very much and they've done fine um so that's nonsense right from the get-go it's interesting that you say that though because that's the argument that sometimes i hear which is that idea of going people who are very passionate about Mm. the idea of public schooling but at the same time are like 
Except that, you know, I want my kid to have, like, yeah, this is the system we have at the moment and I want my kid to have the best opportunity, so I'm going to send them to private school regardless. Like, what do you think of that, like, point of view? You must hear that, right? Well, I think it's... Say what you think. I think Always be honest, Jane. I think it's, <laughs> I think it's garbage. Right. Um, and I think it's also, what are you teaching your children? So you're teaching your children that they, you can hold a belief, but as soon as it gets a little bit difficult for you... You can just walk away from it and do uh-huh. what suits you. That to me is not a good is not good modelling. Right. And also, I think you don't believe in the public system. You believe oh, we should have nice public schools for the riffraff. But my children, they have to have something special. Um, because, I mean, it's crazy. Like, I mean, I live, uh, you know, in a part of Sydney mm. where to give uh, anyone listening uh, around the world or in Australia who does not know it, uh, the school from looking for Ella Brandy <laughs> that has a better view of the Sydney Harbour than Malcolm Turnbull's house does. I mean, you go by there and just to see the amount of, like, well, money. But I have friends who came out of the Melbourne versions mm. of those schools and the stories they tell of the idea of the entrenched privilege, oh, yeah. not just of the fact that they are in this environment and get these better opportunities and have these better opportunities to, you know, we know that education is the great tool from moving people from one social strata to another and we're enforcing it with the top strata already having the best access to education. But not just that, there's a mindset within it that promotes entitlement. Oh, yeah. Oh, I think part of the problem that we have with the kinds of leaders we have in our parliament is that they have been told from a very early, right. you're special you're the leaders of tomorrow. It's the story you keep hearing about Malcolm Turnbull. It's like when he was 13, they said he was going to be Prime Minister. And now he is, and guess what? He's not special. He's not even very good at it. He's not good at being Prime Minister. He's not very good. Because he he doesn't have actually anything he believes in. He just believed he wanted to be Prime Minister. And also, he's not been tested. Right. Because he hasn't been in the rough and tumble of a public school. Right. The rough and tumble of a public school is the best basis. You know, if you put your kid in those gilded halls, oh my God. My bo- I mean, I remember once taking my kids, we, you know, they went to our time in public school, not in any way a disadvantaged school, perfectly lovely little ordinary primary school, does very well academically because it draws from a high socioeconomic area and yeah, that's I mean, what you we live- know. Yeah, I mean, there is... I mean, I'm sure there would be people who could make the argument. Oh, in the and same, they do. That, that, like, you know, it's fine for you to it's send your kids you. to you know, none public my, school in our time. None of my neighbours did. Yeah, uh, right. and, <laughs> interestingly enough. And also, my nieces went to Winmalee High School. My nephew, my son's-in-law, one went to Mossman High, one went to Leichhardt High. My nephew um, went to Leichhardt High School. Um, my other nieces went to Canterbury Girls. So we have gone to a range in my family, yeah. but no one's gone to a private school, I'm incredibly proud to say. Um, and I believe strongly that the private schools do not offer more opportunities. Mm. I believe strongly that they do not offer a better education. I believe strongly that they are actually giving you a kind of branded version of something which is all about status and boasting rights rather than actual substance. I'm not saying they're bad schools. They're fine. But the $30,000 difference, people, just isn't there. It really isn't there. It's smoke yeah, and mirrors. you could just teach your kid to play lacrosse on the weekend. <laughs> if, if you want to, <laughs> if lacrosse is such a big thing for you. But... But we I, but, also okay, know but we, we just, have yeah, okay, we I'm have go. evidence, for example, that yep. kids from public co-ed comprehensive schools do better at university than private and selective school kids. Is that right? Yes. Once they get in. Once they get in. Now, obviously, less a lower percentage of public school kids get into uh, university because they can't select their right. students. 
So that makes sense. But once they're in, by the end of their first year, they're generally outperforming both by an average of five marks. Now, people Because ask you've why. had to work hard. Partly. People often ask me why. I do have a joke as to the reason why, but okay, it's not good. entirely a joke. Okay. It's one of those jokes, which may be true. Which is, I'm sure it's much easier to go from one underfunded public institution to another <laughs> underfunded public institution. Right. How must those kids feel who come out of those schools, yeah. which pretty soon they're going to have to be painting with gold leaf because I don't know what they're going to do with the money they're raking in without that. Heat the pool. Yeah, well, the, the four pools. Yeah. Um, what they are going to No, I, mean, they- I meant they're one for the ponies. They're literally playing water polo on <laughs> right, ponies. Young ponies. That's, <laughs> that's right. what they're doing now. Yeah, that's right. I think they're heating the harbour outside <laughs> yeah, that yes, school near my place. That's Just- right. So that the girls never even get a whiff of a cool breeze. Yeah, exactly. uh, <laughs> honestly, no, how must they feel when they go into their, their average university right. lecture theatre? It must be a shock like nothing else. Why are we doing this to our kids? Why are we? And, and the message these kids get is that they're both very, very important and special but very, very fragile. Right. Because they can't mix with ordinary children because right. they might go to the bad. I mean, for goodness sake, don't you have any faith in yourself as a parent that your children can't meet some, you know, not very nice other kid and resist? I, 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 I find the whole thing totally illogical and so self-defeating. Honestly, if you line my girls up next to all the kids that they grew up with who went off to very expensive schools when they went to um, a nearby um, public high school that I was told I was neglecting them by sending them there, I was told that I was sacrificing my children to my principals. Right. Can you believe it? I can ima- but I can imagine people saying that. I could hear people saying that. They were, uh, you know, Lampers, you line them up now, I promise you, you couldn't tell the difference. Yeah. You could not tell the difference. There's more to an education too than purely… Marks. Right, marks. Mm. Like life experience. The thing that's interesting to me is like you said co-educational, right? They yeah. went to co-educational schools. Are all public schools co-educational? No, not in New South Wales. Okay. So um, I went to a co-educational school, but it was a country private school. I was on a scholarship to a country private school and uh, went to a public uh, school. And my uh, brother and sister… Uh, but yeah, anyway. Mm. So uh, I… Uh, but ours was co-educational, mm. whereas the local Catholic school was, you know, boys and girls, different, mm. split up. Yeah. And I always, when I would talk to the Catholic boys or even de- indeed the Catholic girls, the ideas that they had about the opposite sex were insane. <laughs> like, how do you feel about the idea of, like, uh, co-educational schools? Because the other argument that gets made is that girl- – because girls can do better academically if you take boys out of the classroom, right? Mm. That's Am I right in saying that? That's right. Right. So how do you feel about where, – where do you come down on that? Is it better that girls are on their own so they can excel no. or is it better that they're mixed in together? It's better they learn what they're going to have to face out there in the working world early rather than right. late. Again, the shock that some of these highly protected young women must face – when they walk out of these girls' schools that are very rah-rah, you can be chairman of the board, you can take over the world, and then they go out into a university which is co-ed, and then they go out in the workplace, they must knock them for six. Um, whereas if you – I'm absolutely convinced that I, you know, made it really in creative departments in advertising starting out in 1980 – because right. I'd been to a co-ed public school and I knew the kind of shit that I was going to have to put up with. I'd already honed the way I dealt with the boys in the playground. You know, I, it didn't strike me as, oh, my God, this is the world I know nothing of at all. The world is co-ed. And also, how can you have an education system where you have all the girls in single-sex schools and all the boys in co-ed schools? It's a real problem with that. Um <laughs> 
Just, you know, kind of logistically. I mean, technically, sure. But I assumed it would be something where we split the posh girls into the oh, rich yes. the schools. Special. And we then do. we just had all and the riffraff into the... Yeah, and we exactly. sacrifice the, yeah, the other girls. girls. Yeah. yeah, I sacrifice yeah. my girls. But I strongly believe that you have to deal with the way the world is. Yeah. Um, and also... By and large, girls do better at school than boys, co-educational or single sex. Right. And if you don't judge it as – if your idea of an education is not my kid coming top, yeah. then what does it matter that they might get a few marks less by being in a co-ed school? It's marks. They're not draining their brains out of their ears and the girls are actually learning other skills right. which are going to be of much greater value to them when they go out into the real world and have to deal with what is basically still a misogynistic world workplace. Yeah, when they're dealing with the real world, whether it be like relationships between men and women or workplace relationships between men and women, it's probably going to come in a lot more handy than algebra did. Yeah, <laughs> you know, like, just generally. Yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah, in like, general, you know, yeah. it's much more of a useful life skill. <laughs> exactly. than. <laughs> What's the most important thing in life? What gets you further in life than anything else is social skills. Right. And if you haven't learnt social skills with the opposite sex, by the time you're 18, you are always going to be struggling. So ideally, if you had a, like a magic wand and you could, you know, rejig the Australian education system into what would be the perfect system for us to work, how does that look? Yeah, look, there will never be anything like a perfect system. But the way I would do it is I would have a um, – really incredibly well-resourced gold standard public education system right across the country that got all the public funding, which accepted every single student and which put student well-being at the centre of its philosophy rather than academic achievement, uh-huh, yeah. like Finland does. Oh, yeah, I and love that. that it, I mean, to me, that's very important. Yeah. Like the idea that things are measured on, like, you know, what you do for the individual, like in their journey rather than, you know, some sort of overall idea the- that everybody is competing in the same yeah. race, which is just... Nonsense. I mean, the idea of the school wasn't originally meant to be that it was a competition it's to find the best. It's not a competition. Best. It was meant to be to educate us to be citizens in the world, right? And to exercise our right to vote. Right. Um, and do it in an educated fashion. We need to educate our masters, said Lord Palmerston when they gave, for the first time, one man. But we also need to educate – I mean, well, that's right, our masters. Our yes, masters. being everybody, yes. yes. And we all benefit from the world being smarter. Jane Caro there with Will Anderson on Willosophy. It's our compilation series, Willosophies. These are going to be going till the end of the year. Finally, for today's episode, we're going to hear from Todd Sampson, another TV presenter and documentary maker. He appears on Gruen with Will. He's also made a show called Redesign My Brain, as well as Body Hack. Todd's got a lot of interesting stuff to say on this topic and he sort of talks about how being educated completely changed his life. You said something interesting to me. As a man that people will know probably from, uh, you know, firstly, uh, I imagine if they're coming to this podcast, the TV show that we do together, the Gruen shows, uh, but they also might know you from the project. They might know you from your television show, Redesign My Brain, which we'll get to. And they might just, they might know you from the advertising world where, you know, you have been very successful for a very long time. But then on the way into us recording this podcast, you said something that blew my mind. Uh-oh. You said, I like your books, but I don't read books. Yes, I don't read. You don't read? No. My parents never learned to read or write, so we never had any books at home. They never went to school. So dad, in fact, my father learned to read when my youngest sister was born because he read the kids' books. 
And Is that learned. right? Yeah, yeah. No. So they were learning to read at the same time almost. My, my dad learned to read with my sister. Oh my God. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That is amazing. Yeah. Like they don't even read the one night. One night she would read the book. <laughs> the next night he would read the book. Don't be, <laughs> you, you look beside his bed and he's got all these kids' books. You think if you were someone else and you walked right. in and saw that a grown man. Oh, yeah. We, kid book, we need what? to get the authorities That's involved. It, yeah, exactly. <laughs> why is he reading that and stuff? And why is he driving an ice cream truck slowly by schools? Well, let's start there then. So why tell us about where you grew up and why your parents uh, were in a situation where they wouldn't be able to read. Because hmm. yeah. that's interesting to people. Yeah, I, I was born in Sydney, Nova Scotia, so North Sydney to Canada, Sydney. Sydney to Sydney. Yeah. And uh, my parents were, my dad worked in Coca-Cola, if you saw the show recently. Yes. It was on the show. Yeah, he worked in Coca-Cola for 27 years. Uh, my mom worked as a checkout girl at KFC. Now, t- talk to us about what your dad did at Coca-Cola. He poured, literally, he poured sugar into vats. I could remember as a kid going in there and they'd all be smoking in the factory, (laughs) sitting in the back. Ironically, probably healthier than drinking all the Coca-Cola. And my dad used to have to get these huge bags of sugar, which he used to take home. And we used to have them. Like when I needed to go get sugar, I would go downstairs out of these enormous bags and take a scoop. So like that episode of The Simpsons where Homer finds all the sugar. Oh, no. I am The Simpsons. (laughs) It's modeled on my life. Yeah, so I that love was, that. So that was... Um, Did he know the secret recipe? Would you have been able to make your own Coke at home? You know, I believed the whole fucking time that the secret recipe was in the bucket in front of KFC that oh. turned around where my mother worked. Yeah. Yeah, so I used to always think, how am I going to climb that? How am I going to get up? <laughs> so, ta- so he worked at Coke for 26 years. Yeah, 26 and, years. And would you think that he would describe that as a positive uh, like way to have lived his life? Yeah, definitely. Was he happy, you know? Yeah, he was happy. He provided you know, he, he earned $26,000 a year and he raised the kids. I didn't know any different. So in Canada, we would be just kind of at the poverty line, sounds so dramatic, but we'd be right there. Right. You know, he would be, he'd all the benefits and healthcare of that place. Mom earned whatever it was, a couple of dollars an hour at KFC. And that's how we were raised. The weird thing is I haven't had a drink of Coke for nearly 20 years. When was the last time you had a KFC? I, oh, even longer since I haven't eaten meat in 22 years. Right. Yeah. So yeah. Was that because she worked at KFC? Was any of your decision about not eating meat? No, I, when I ate it, I used to wait up at night for mom to come home. Right? <laughs> I'd fall asleep on the sofa. I'd literally just lift my head up and she would stick the chicken in front of me and I would just chat that stuff down at like three in the morning. You're just at home with moist towelettes prepared. Yeah, exactly. Plastic knife yeah. and fork. That's my life, Will. And then I wash it down with a Coke. But, so how does a kid, so they get married, how old are they when they get married? Yeah, well, mom, it's a, it's a, mom had a child when she was 15 mm-hmm. with another man. Okay. Uh, and uh, as my mother says, uh, he fucked me on a rock. Uh, <laughs> mom's pretty, uh, mom, mom's pretty full on. And so, um, so, but dad, so then, then dad started dating her, right? And, uh, and dad found out that she had a child and, right. and dad said, Oh, I'll, I'll take, we'll take the child together mm-hmm. as, as a couple. And how old is your dad at this stage? 72. No. How old is he? Sorry. How old oh, is he when this is happening? Oh, well, he would have been 18. So he's 18 years old yeah. and he's offering to yeah. take on a, another child. Yeah. I mean, that's I, cause I think I, I want to linger on that for just a second because you know, I'm nearly 40 years old and, you know, I, and I think that I would have the capacity to do that, mm. but the thought of it would terrify me. It's certainly not something I ever would have imagined at 18 years of age when I was packing up my car and going to university that, you know, 
the that pre- would be part of the my crazier life. The crazier thing was imagine having a baby at 15. So right. mum, mum fell pregnant, right, and at that young age. And then when she was giving birth, she said she could remember all the guilt, like she had to go to a Catholic hospital because that's oh, all yeah, they right. had there. And um, she, she literally was kind of giving birth, showed up at the hospital, gave birth. And what did they do? They took the baby. And they gave it to my aunt. Another long story, right? So, right. Because they said that she was too young to have a baby and her sister was older. They gave it to my aunt. She was raised my entire life as my cousin, but she was actually my half-sister. Wow. Yeah. And when did you find out about I that? I found out. Well, I used to record with a device a lot simpler than this. I used to record my parents' conversation. So I used to stick a recording device underneath their chair, then go to bed. Oh my God, are yeah. you serious? Yeah. And my parents used to have some wild ones, you know, and I, then the next day I would just listen to everything. And then one day I was I'm surprised my, you didn't become a spy. <laughs> one day I was with my friend Herbie, yeah. he's my best friend. And I said, oh, uh, let's play and see what they said last night. And I was listening to him, I was like, fuck, she's my sister. She's my half sister. Oh but I'd known her the whole time. If this wasn't a movie, no one would believe <laughs> no, this. No, exactly. And then only when her... Um, so I confronted my mother years later on yeah. it, and she told me what had happened. And my sister went off to marry a Navy SEAL. And he spends his whole... So when the Iraq war was on, he was over there killing people in the dozens. That was his job. He was yeah. an elite killer, this guy. And he, amazingly, huge guy, really... Fit. But he left my half-sister, obviously, in America. She never knows where he's going. He just says, I have to leave for three weeks. So then I went over to see her. And I was 20... I can't remember how old I was. And... Uh, and that was the first time I saw her as my sister. That was just the most bizarre experience. Wow. That's, abso- that's absolutely fascinating. Mm. So how do you get through school? Like if you have two parents who, yeah. you know, couldn't read at some stage, how are you encouraged to be a person who goes on and finishes school and, you know, graduates and go to use it, goes to university and that sort of thing? Yeah, well, I could remember always... I could remember always, uh, you know, walking home from school thinking, I don't want to live this life. Right. Like it's small town, Cape Breton Island, kind of, you know, not a lot of money. Just, just, it wasn't a nice existence. And I can remember thinking, I don't want to live that life. Uh, My and- parents always used to say a very interesting thing about uh, being a parent. And they, it was more about your kids living at home. But they always said, you've got to love them uh, enough that they want to stay there until they finish school. And you've got to love them enough that they want to leave as soon as they finish school. You know, there, can, mm. there is that great thing in sometimes where you're from somewhere. And I, I didn't want to be at the, from the place I'm from either. I was like, well, I know that I don't want to be here. That's a start. Sometimes yeah. that's important. You know, that's one of my that, – that is one If it was of my, comfortable, you could stay. Mm. And you might not do what you, you know, are set out to do. That's one of my life lessons is based on that exact experience, which, which is – the path you carefully plan is the one you will never take. Right. And the notion that if you want, I could never have predicted to be here right now. I never would have imagined ever being on television. I never wanted to be a CEO. I never could have imagined that. Therefore, I could never have planned it. Right. So all these people that have all these grandiose plans to get there, I doubt. I, I, majority of people definitely do not follow the path they carefully plan. Well, let's uh, seeing that we've talked about philosophies, I did ask you to come with one. Mm. Uh, what, what would you say that it is if you have a philosophy? Uh, in, that relates to that. I would say that um, doors open through effort, not through will. So I've, I've, because I've never imagined or planned to be where I am right now. Therefore, I couldn't have planned to get there. It's impossible. It doesn't make any sense. But what I did try to do throughout my life is everywhere that I went or whatever I did, if I was cleaning floors, if I was working in an advertising business, I tried to do that brilliantly as best to my ability. And then the next door opened. But 
most people, especially this whole another generation, they just wheel the door to open. They just stare at the door. And I kind of come to believe as long as you do every little node, you know, in your life, whatever that is, to the best of your ability, another door will open. But if you stand there looking at it, there is no chance. Okay. So that's not something that you just one day read in a magazine and decide is your philosophy, yeah. right? That's something that at a reasonably, I would assume, young age, you feel like you've at least adopted, even if you didn't know the words that you're saying then. When do you feel like you started to, you know, form that sort of mindset? Probably in my mid-30s, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Maybe 10 years ago, I, I kind of... What happened is uh, because I've had a fair amount of success in different areas of my life, people have always looked at me and gone, oh, you're so successful, you're so successful. They asked me how I got there. And every time I tried to explain it, I had no clear explanation. So People don't want to hear no fucking idea. That's it. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. It's somewhat random. And they go, oh, well, that's not very inspiring. Hey, John Sampson's put out a uh, great uh, advice book about how to be successful in business. It's It's called... Be excellent. Other than that, I've got no fucking idea. But I also believe you're, where you come from hardens you or makes you who you are. Like I, I, I had a lot of uh, crazy stuff in my childhood. And because I came from a relatively poor family, it, your starting point does define the end destination to some extent, I think. Okay. So uh, talk me through then. You, where do you go to high school? So I went to a, a – it's all pub. We didn't have any private schools. I didn't even know what they were until I moved to Australia. But uh, there was no private school. So I went to a public school, normal school in the city. I went to the uh, – the first one was called Kobe. And I went through that as a flunk out, basically. Bombed every subject. I was – you know, I was involved in a lot of uh, – got involved very young in a lot of stuff I shouldn't have got involved in because there's nothing to do. So you turn to kind of petty crime and all right. that stuff at home. And, uh, and then I went to high school. So I just kind of – in high – that's seven, eight, and nine. So by, by grade seven, I had one guy – I had one of my friends murder someone – and, and then I had one of my friends murdered by that, by, by seven, by grade seven. So I was still a kid, you know? And so. And I, why would people be murdering people in that part of the uh, world? Well, it, they differ, right? So the murdered one was a very close friend of mine who uh, people drank, drink and fight a lot where I'm right. from. And in fact, last time I went home, I was pulling one of my friends off another guy fighting on New Year's. Is Why does that happen? Just, is it just boredom? Just is it boredom, nothing else to do? Not a lot of not a lot to do there, and a lot of alcohol. Yep. Alcohol is part of the culture, so everyone's getting smashed and fighting. Um, so the guy who uh, got m- murdered, we were out with him at McDonald's, and that's not a plug. And uh, and we dropped him off at home, and he went into his house, and he opened the door, and his brother shot him dead with a shotgun. Now what had happened is his brother had gotten in a fight in the city, yeah. and the guy that he got in a fight with said, "I'm going to come back and kill you." So he, is this too heavy? Will you take? No, it? I'm, no, I just. Am I on? Am I mean, I I'm glad to? that I've done this podcast. I feel like we've managed to make it twelve minutes in. Yeah, like people will expect every. All right, okay. Like every time I do this podcast, people, I'll be like, "And so, uh, what age did you, you say let someone me know, murdered?" Well, if I'm sharing too no, much, no, this, this is a back. safe space, yes, Todd. This uh, is this is the only way is this is going to work. It is quite a safe space. Exactly, it's reassuring. It's a yeah. safe space. There's a blackboard here. Yeah. It's fine. Is, uh, so anyway, he, uh, he, his brother got in a fight and it was a bad fight. And the yep. guy said, I'm going to come back and kill you. So his brother thought, all right. He loaded up the gun and waited for him. Unfortunately, the person who walked in yeah. was his actual brother. So that's the – and he was – I was very close to him. That was a shock to all of us. We were all, you know, complete – to lose a – we hung out in a little gang. Right. And we kind of – that was one of them gone. So, And the guy who murdered, uh, he – that's a weird story as well. Jesus will. <laughs> 
I'm a, where are we going to go with this? Uh, he, the, 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 the guy who murdered was a very close friend. His name was Yopi. And uh, he, he was a bit of a nutter the whole time. I mean, uh. We all knew that. We didn't know how much of a nutter he was. Anyway, I was away uh, at a summer camp thing, like a getaway camp. And he, with a friend, went hitchhiking. This is going to get weird, Will. Okay. Uh, his friend went hitchhiking yeah. and they got picked up by an older couple. Uh, the couple uh, took them to their destination and they went to get out. They said, no, we're not getting out. They tied the couple up to opposite each other as opposed. Uh, they stabbed the uh, woman to death and then went to stab the man and he lived. So they took off with the vehicle. He lived, got out, crawled to a station. They eventually caught him and locked him up for life. How, as a child who's, you know, 12, do you rationalize that? Like, how do your parents talk to you about it? How, is, how do you as a child, you know, deal with that? Yeah, well, that, I, I didn't really deal with it because I was in it, but my parents, uh, they used it as a fire to say, you do not want to live here. Right. You know, they were like, this is not the life you want to live. And my, I can remember my mom distinctly telling me over years going, this is not the life you need to live. And my dad used to hold his hands up and he'd have calluses all over his hands from working in the factory. And he'd say, you don't want hands like this. So they, they gave me that fire to kind of get right. out. And then I, I went to uh, high school and a grade seven uh, uh, teacher, science teacher, I, he made me do these kind of, I, I don't know what they were, if they were IQ tests or base tests or whatever they were. And, and I, I must have scored well. But I was in, in, in Canada, they segregate the schools. So if you're in seven, one, two, three, four, five, five, they're like eating the glue and throwing staplers at the teacher. And one is all the mostly immigrants, uh, um, smart kids yep. that are doing really well. I was always in the four. Like I was okay. never in the five. I was yeah, the you weren't in the five. I wasn't in the five. I was in the right. four. I wasn't, I wasn't eating the glue, but yeah. I was uh, throwing things at other people. <laughs> and, that, and then that's it. They, he, he went to the school, and the next year I came back for grade uh, eight, and I was in a uh, level three. And then the next year I came back, and I was in a level two. And I guess what happened is I just got really competitive. I just refused to believe that they would be so much better than me because they had money or because they were smarter mm -hmm. or whatever. So I literally just, a switch just flicked where I went, okay, I'm going to see if I can do this. And then I, I, I applied myself. Really. Were you competitive in everything that you did at that age? Like that, was that a thing in your head that was in every aspect of your life or was it just when it came to your education? It came to education. I, ne I never did sport. I never wasn't involved. I Not at all? No, no sport. I didn't have any. Because you're a fit adult. Were you, did you like run or did you keep yourself fit or were you just a kid? That's a whole other story, Will. That's, uh, yeah. I mean, the fitness comes from a deeper place of kind of insecurity and issues that happened in my life again. And it's a whole nother, that's a whole nother path. Yeah. You know? And, but so I, I did, uh, I did all right at school. And then when I entered grade 11, so it goes to 12 in Canada, uh, I had an, I had a history teacher. His name was wild bill and he was wild. He was, he was like, he had worked in Harvard and he had traveled. Like he was the only person I knew that had actually seen the world. And his whole history class was about taking us to different places. In the right. World. It completely blew my mind. Like, and so he, now what did wild bill look like? Cause was, I have a picture in my head, but I, I actually want to know what he looked like. He was, uh, actually he kind of looked like a military guy. Like he was a bit porty and he, okay. uh, and he had short hair and, and he was rough. He was really, he, he taught two classes. I remember I asked him once he taught the, like the level one, so the elite students, and he taught five. And I, I remember once I asked him, I said, which one do you like teaching? Because he was so, I was in the one with him, you know. Yeah. And he said, Todd, I definitely like the five better. 
He was right. a very interesting guy. So he, he then said to me, Todd, I know this scholarship you should go for. If you get the scholarship, it'll change your life. And it's called United World College. There's, it's a very, very one, one from this part of the world, Eastern Canada will win. And so I didn't think anything of it. I didn't take the form. And then I was in Sea Cadets and I went on this Navy destroyer for three months. Yeah. Uh, and I was leaving that day and my mother went to the teacher meeting. She'd never gone to teacher meetings before, really, nothing like that. And she showed up and while Bill said, did he take that? Did he enter the scholarship? And she said, what scholarship? And she, he went upstairs, grabbed the scholarship, gave it to me. I went on. I went on this, my mother gave it to me and said, fill it out on the ship. I filled it out on the ship. They flew it by helicopter to Mexico, up to Canada, and I got selected in the top 10 and that changed my life forever. That completely changed my life. I then won a scholarship. I got to, I had to leave where I was from. I had enough money that I'd be able to study, you know, at where I wanted and what I wanted to do. And that was it. I never went back. I was 16, 17 years old. There we go, guys. Todd Sampson there. That was actually the second ever episode of Willosophy back in December 2014. I'm Podcast Mike. This is our Willosophies compilation series that's going on until the end of the year. Tofop.com, T-O-F-O-P.com for any of these chats and the rest of them, the rest of the entire back catalogue. Go and check them out. Tell a friend. Like us on Instagram and follow us on Twitter. Willosophy Pod, P-O-D. You can also go to patreon.com slash tofop if you want to donate any money uh, to help keep the show running. Michael, Wayne, Michael puts these episodes together. He trolls through all of the episodes and cuts them all. So special thanks to him and James Fosdyke who puts together all of the amazing artwork that we share online for these. And thanks to all the guests and thanks to you for listening. <laughs>